The uh, church that sent me to seminary is a, uh, an inner city church in, the, in an urban setting in Baltimore. It's a church that had a passion for social justice um, and entertained literally hundreds of people who came in off the street looking for food, looking for clothing, looking for help, looking for an advocate to help them work their way through the uh, bureaucracy so they could get whatever assistance was available through the state. The, the church had uh, only two full-time employees, the rector and the social worker, who was there as an advocate for the, uh, for the poor. It had a, a, an expansive uh, food pantry that was supplied by uh, members, but also by the local grocery stores, and a, and a large uh, a clothes, clothes, clothes closet, a clothing uh, a, uh, a supply that was mostly uh, uh, stocked by, uh, by members. One day I was there in that church and in walked a parishioner that I knew named Reuben Lee. Uh, Reuben was an older fellow um, and a kind of a quiet guy and he had a box in his hand and he said, I brought this for the clothes closet. And I thanked him and I opened the box and it was clear that this had been a gift to him and the tissue was still in place with a little sticker from the store, you know what I mean? And it was all, I said, Reuben, this is a gift to you. Why, don't, don't, you, you shouldn't give this away. It's a, it's a lovely sweater. Why are you giving this away? And he said, well, I already have one. I didn't think of it at the time, frankly. Uh, maybe he did, but I guess that action is precisely what John the Baptist is talking about in today's gospel. It's kind of alarming if you think about it. This whole gospel passage is filled with very complicated theological ideas that are expressed in the person of John in the wilderness. So let me just take a few minutes to talk about a few of them. Uh, let's talk about judgment and about repentance and about Reuben's sweater. A judgment, uh, you know, uh, John says that uh, the ax is being laid to the tree, that uh, the day of wrath has come, that, uh, that God is going to judge everyone according to how they, how they have behaved. Uh, and in his day, uh, that was in the air, this idea that the end was near, that in fact, uh, the day of the Lord was coming, uh, uh, the final judgment, uh, God would sit in judgment, or later on Christ would sit in judgment, and, the, and in fact in this text the, uh, Christ will have the winnowing fork in his hand, eh? And he'll separate the wheat from the chaff, that's the good people from the not quite so good people, and the chaff he will, will burn with unquenchable fire, and only the wheat will be gathered to God's so, so judgment was very much in the, in the mind, and, and we're not talking here about uh, judgment under the law, not, this is not a legal construct um, as much as it is a behavioral construct. How do we behave? Who's to judge how we behave? Well, that um, uh, idea, that ethos, that sensibility is never ha has, has not happened. That notion of the end of time is, was 2,000 years ago and ha hasn't happened and so for us 21st century people, we 
can't help but wonder what's up with that. What, what, how, you know, it, is it ever going to come? Or certainly not in our lifetimes, it doesn't seem like it's going to come. So how are we to judge between right and wrong? And I guess that's why God gave us a conscience. Except that a conscience isn't something that just is automatic. There is a theory about uh, how all of, uh, how our conscience is, is, uh, is informed uh, by, uh, by uh, time. But, but the reality is that, there are, that, that a conscience is something you have to grow. Let's call it a moral imagination. That's why it's so important that we bring our children to church, is so that they can begin to develop and shape and sharpen a moral imagination, the ability to tell right and wrong, and, and judge themselves. And all of us are, are in the position of judging ourselves in terms of what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable behavior and what's not acceptable behavior. And we're in that position while we wait for that final judgment day that will sometime come to us. I have to confess that I worry that the whole concept of judgment has beginning to slip a little bit and get compromised. Sometimes pragmatic seems better. Machiavellian sometimes seems better. Good results for today and putting off morality till tomorrow, that sometimes seems better. And I guess that's another argument for why we should all be in church, right? Because we have to listen to what John says and Jesus says and Francis of Assisi says and Martin Luther King, all the, all the saintly people that we know about, all of the holy people that we know about, give us models of what's right and wrong. And that's how this moral imagination that we call a conscience is developed. I suppose if this were a psychological a gathering, we'd call it a superego. Let's just call it a moral imagination. How we, are, for ourselves, waiting for that final judgment, decide between right and wrong. John the Baptist, I assume, had a crisis of conscience. That, that, John was uh, the son of Zechariah, the high priest. If you're the high priest in Jerusalem in the first century, that's a really big job. That's really important. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, the most important job in Jerusalem, maybe beside the Roman authority, maybe beside Herod the puppet king, maybe not. Really important job. And, and um, so, so uh, John was born into a well-to-do family, got all the best education could be expected to follow in his father's footsteps. But he didn't do that. Something said to him, it's not enough. It's just not right. And caused him to change the way he lived his life. And that, I think, is what repentance is all about. And uh, we'll get to talk a lot more about repentance in Lent, I suspect, but for now, let's say repentance is not about feeling sorry for something you've done and promising with grim, tight-lipped determination never to do it again. Repentance is changing the way we lead our lives. It's a change of heart. 
It's coming to understand the way the world is in different terms, seeing things differently, acting differently. In fact, the fundamental message here might be that you have to walk the walk first, and then you can then one can understand, one can see better the way the world really is, or the way it ought to be, how our moral imagination can come to life in the light of the world, in the life of the world. It's captured in this question that the crowds ask John. What should we do? What should we do? John says, you're being judged, and the people say, what should we do? Actually, I think you could hear that sentence with a different intonation. And maybe we delude ourselves sometimes by hearing that sentence with a different intonation. Maybe it seems a little defensive or improbable sometimes. There are 25 million refugees in the world, not just, not just refugees from their home, but from their country. Well, what could I do? The Naval Academy announced last week that it's got to raise its seawall up to four and a half feet because of the rise in sea levels. What could I do? There have been 40 million, not 40, 39 million 770 Americans killed by gunshot wounds in 2018, according to NIH. What can I do? The crowd has a much more affirmative approach to this question. They really think there's something they can do, it would seem. And John gives them instructions. Just as, and the crowd, we don't know what they heard or didn't hear. Uh, Reuben, my friend Reuben, heard it. We hear this, you know, share with, share with others. Take truth-telling seriously. Keep promises. We hear that. In this congregation, there's an awful lot of sharing, I have to say. The, the amount of support for the Christmas uh, angel tree and for clothing drives and other drives is just really astonishing. And it's, a, and it's a, a wonderful first step. And you have to take that step. We all have to take that step. Um, the uh, the, uh, the great preacher, almost as good as John the Baptist, the Reverend Jesse Jackson said, it's easier to walk your way into a new way of living than to live your way. It's, it's easier to walk your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of walking. Understand? You have to take the first step in order to see the world differently. But it's only a first step. None of us are likely to move to the wilderness like John the Baptist did. 
None of us are necessarily called to do that, although some are. But it doesn't take an, an enormous disruption in our lives like that to, to, under, to begin to understand to begin to understand how to see the world differently, the work of repentance. Uh, Mother Teresa didn't leap tall buildings in a single bound. She, all she did was share her life with others in need. Martin Luther King was a wonderful orator, but what set him apart was his, his steadfast belief that Jesus wasn't fooling around when he said you have to love your enemies. And so these first steps that we take, they're a real beginning, but they're not the only thing. They're not, they're, they're, there are other steps to be had. And those other steps begin to be born in us after we take those first steps seriously. And they begin to be born in us at Christmas, don't they? They begin, to, they begin to be born in us when Christ is born in us, when we take Christ seriously and we learn to go the extra mile and to turn the other cheek and to love your enemies. But I'll take Reuben every time because his first step was not entirely unlike the widow's might. And in a very real way, not symbolic, in a very real way, he shared his life with people who were cold. And that is repentance. Amen. Let us stand and profess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternal.